Episode 11 of My Life is a Junk Drawer, Monsters Lurking in My Head, Part 2. Welcome to My Life is a Junk Drawer with your host, me, Sue Mangum. This podcast is meant to help you clean out the junk in your heart, soul, body, and yes, junk drawer. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I hope that you all have had a great week. I cannot believe that it is mid-July. The summer is just flying by. This week, we have part two of my conversation with Sonia, my friend who is a recovering alcoholic. I want to let you know that if you haven't listened to part one, I strongly suggest you go back and listen to it because it's her story. It is phenomenal. It is heartbreaking and gut-wrenching, and I want you to hear everything. Literally, this part two takes up exactly where we left off, so you'll miss her whole story if you don't listen. And today, we talk about the steps she took to recovery, how she stays sober, how she's starting to pay it forward to other people with problems. And we do go into some signs and things to look for maybe in yourself or someone that you love if you're worried about them being an alcoholic or over drinking. And I just want to reiterate, we are just two women talking. We're hopefully giving some support and some ideas, but we are not professionals and we do not claim to be professionals. So whatever advice we get or we give is literally just coming from our hearts. So here is part two. Okay, so we know some of the motivation behind why you say sober. Can you tell us some of maybe the steps you take or really how you've become almost four years sober? Yeah. Um, okay, so, you know, in the beginning for me, it really was just going to a lot of meetings, which um, when I was pushed to do that from multiple places, I was like, I have a life. Right. <laughs> um, I have a family. I'm not going. And, and we have a little saying called 90 meetings in 90 days. And I said, I, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not, to be honest, and this is totally ugly now in hindsight, but I was like, I am not a loser. I am not doing that. Right. Um, I don't need I that have, much help. I have a drinking problem, but I'm not a loser. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as, as, as every good alcoholic yeah. says. <laughs> um, but so... Um, here's the thing though, I found so much relief going to meetings. And so, you know, I was kind of scared to be alone, um, or to be at home a lot. Um, I, my, I couldn't shut my mind off. And so I started going to those meetings, like suggested, I even made excuses. I remember when I finally did get a sponsor through the program and I, uh, (laughs) I told her, I said, Hey, I hear a phrase uh, called 90 meetings in 90 days around here. That doesn't apply to me. Right. She goes, well, why wouldn't that apply to you? And I said, well, I have kids and a family and stuff and I own my own business and I'm busy. I don't, I don't have time to do that. She goes, well, did you drink every day? Oh, and I was like, well, yeah. Just so you, regardless of what you had going on, you made a way to drink every day, to drink the way you wanted every day, whether that was to go get it or to make it a priority. I was like, yeah, yes. It's like, then you'll make this one hour a day of sitting in a meeting a priority. 
And um, and she's like, and if you know that you're going to be missing a meeting over the weekend, you're going to hit two at some point during the week. Wow. Put that extra meeting in your bank. And I was like, okay. And so I did it. And really the motivation behind that is I don't know how to stay sober. Right. But you do. And so if this has worked for you, then I need to quit trusting my judgment, which has always led me back to the bottle. Right. To maybe just trust your judgment for now. And uh, something that they say, too, is, like, if you're unhappy with this, like, we will gladly refund your misery. Like, you don't have to stay here. No one's forcing you. Like, you can go. You're a free person. You can do whatever you want. And that is something that's comforting to me, too, but also scary because it's like, well, gosh, if I take my life back into my own hands instead of surrendering every day to a power greater than myself whom I choose to call God. And also, like, genuinely placing myself in a place of open-mindedness. Vulnerability, too. Yeah, just being willing. Right. Just being willing. Stop fighting. Get the pride out. No more pride. I'm not going to argue with you. Right. You know, if you know how to do this and I don't, then, like, cut the crap. Do do you feel like that is, like, the biggest point for any alcoholic that really wants to recover is de-surrendering of your old habits to somebody that can really teach you new habits? Well, I think that, that the, there's a couple of things that are kind of like a, that would I lead me to believe that there's going to be successful abstinence from alcohol and recovery would be, you know, if you're really honest with yourself about where you're at. So right. if you can be honest to your innermost self, I cannot drink normally. I can't do this. I, I'm an alcoholic. And did you feel that relatively quickly or was that something that took a while for you to feel you know it's funny because like I I made jokes a lot like I'm an alcoholic and but like the day I said it like I had described earlier like that that moment that was the first time I was like really like oh my goodness this is very serious I I am not normal like this is not normal right and it has not been I have not doubted it since. okay because like good. my relationship with it has I'm just I'm alcoholic <laughs> through and through um but what has helped also so taking suggestions being willing to take suggestions being honest with myself being open-minded those are those three little key ingredients for me that has helped me stay sober um did you come to enjoy going to the meetings I did not at first right right of course it was a pain in my butt like I just did not quite ready to I was annoyed and I was angry and I was very bitter and I was mad at God and I was mad at myself um that I had found myself in this situation Uh, you know but I did get there and and I remember okay so I remember when I very first meeting I picked up a white chip and I someone bought me a book a book and I got in the car um, with my husband and I started reading the book, but I turned to him and I said, just so you know, I'm not making friends with these people. And he was like, okay. And I said, I have enough friends. I don't need any more. And that's just, I was just so hard and my, my heart was so hard. I was so angry and bitter. And, but the thing is, is you can't keep going to meetings as consistently without eventually making friends, relationships. you know, like yeah. you can't hide. You can only hide so much. I mean, right. You can't hide if you really are really determined to. But I ended up, like, people ended up asking me my name. People wanted to get to know me. And I love to talk, as you probably know. And so uh, people... They won you over. Yeah, people got to know me, and I got to know them. And what was really cool about the fellowship aspect is that 
You have people that, hey, where were you yesterday? I missed you. How's your son doing today? Right. Um, how was your daughter's first day of kindergarten? You know, all those things start coming up and you start to become a family with these people. And when people are going through struggles, you're like, gosh, I'm so sorry. So, oh gosh, like, how can I help you? How can I serve you? What can I do? Right. And a lot of those things in the beginning for me were things like making coffee for the group. I mean, that seems so small and right. insignificant, but just being available and of service to think about somebody else other than me yeah. is a huge deal. Sweeping was a thing. I would stay after and I would straighten out the chairs and, and, and straighten out the cushions. I would pick up the tissues. I'd pick up the cups of coffee. Um, and I would do things like that. And I would also stay and talk to new people as time went on, um, even though I was new because we were both in it together and we're both right. trying together. And just these little actions of getting out of myself, out of my thinking, really helped me stay put there. And um, I found myself really missing it on days that I couldn't be there and really developing a family um, and also like really growing to love these these people. people. They are my people. And yes. they know how I think. I know how they think. Like we get it. And community is such a big deal yes. for us, yes. you know, and I would not be where I am today without them. They are my community. Right. Um, and you know, if you're struggling, you can pick up the phone and talk to them and vice versa. If they're struggling, they can pick up the coat and say, oh my gosh, this is happening today. Absolutely. And you can really help each other. They're my network. They're my people. They're my lifeline. Like I've got lots of women um, in my life that I could be going through anything. I could just be like overthinking stuff because really half of it is yes. just my brain just won't shut off. Right. And I'll call a woman and be like, hey, so this is I just need to tell you what I'm thinking about. And she's like, go. And we have given each other permission to speak truth into each other's yeah. lives where I'm not going to get my feelings hurt. I mean, I might. Right. But there's not like a judgment. Like they're not going to say, oh, my God, she just said they're yeah, going right. to say they might call you out and say mm -hmm. you need to do this. But it's always in a loving and safe and kind way. I've had so many Truthful. women tell me to go make amends to my husband. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, okay, what? Like, you need to hang up the phone with me and make it right with Matt. Um, the other thing, too, I can't speak highly enough was really when I had that when I had my sponsor and I still have a sponsor. But when, um, when I was working with my sponsor and we were working the steps and there's, tw there's 12 steps and, right. and I was just willing to do it. And I was, you know, that same desperation about just tell me what to do. I'll do it. Right. I took that into working the steps too. And there is a, this magic that happens in it that I can't describe. We don't have enough time on this podcast to describe it all, but, um, that was a huge part of it. And so is it like magic number, you know, at number six, you started to see the magic or right away you see the magic or is it just right away? I mean, right uh, away the magic starts in the steps. I mean, like that is amazing. It's, it's so cool. It's true. Like there's something about pen to paper for me that can right. be really, really magical. Um, but also like it was the first time in my life that I could really see. First off, I was surrendering to God my whole life to God. You right. know, I was no longer running the show. I wasn't in charge of my life anymore. I thought I had up until that point, especially as a believer. I was like, I really have to give my life over to the Lord. But, um, <laughs> and I really, in my heart, hearts really had believed that Sue. Like I really thought I have surrendered my whole life. But if you tried to snatch the bottle out of my hands, I will bite you. Right. Like, you know, like you, we will fight. Like, right. I, and so, and, and like I said earlier, I think, um, was, you know, I just, it was my best friend. 
It was my confidant. It was, it was everything to me. The idea of picturing my life without this thing was so terrifying. And so I really had to rely on God to get me through that time. And I prayed, 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 prayed. And I prayed in the morning, God, keep me sober. And I thanked him every night for keeping me sober. sober. And um, I had the opportunity on paper to look at what my life had become. And, and what's so great about these women and these people in my life is that I don't have to carry this shame and this guilt. You know, I really, I can embrace the flawed parts of me today in a way that I couldn't before because it's all been used for good. And that good is used when I get to help other women wow. and I get to help women every day. I mean, when I sit across from another woman and she's telling me, help me, I can't stop. Tell me what to do. And I know exactly where she's been. Right. And I will be like, let's, let's do this, you know, and we go through it together. There is no drink on this planet that can bring that kind of feeling Wow. Then getting that to help another person. Giving me chills. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I mean, and and truly, I'm going to just sidetrack just for a minute. Sure. We as women, we shame each other a Mm. lot. When you talk about shame and and just in the way we look or if we're eating the wrong things or (laughs) we were just talking about that. but and, And for you to have a safe place to be able to belong and be able to feel like you don't have to worry about that. I mean, that is, I might, I might just go to AA. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome to join me anytime. Uh, oh but, my gosh. Uh, so, so you kind of let, let into it. Tell me a little bit um, about, have you, have you helped others now mm-hmm. that you're you're so far out here and you really can you have a grasp on what you need to do and you're not worried about so much that you're going to fall back. How have you paid it forward to other people? So I started paying it forward right away by giving my number. I mean, just like I started small. Okay. okay. So, Which is the best way to start. Right. So I started small by like giving my number to newcomers, calling other women, asking how they are doing, not talking about myself and listening to them. Boy, things that like you think are natural, like would make me like a good human being. But like I had to learn to do those things. And so just those little things, like I said, serving people at the meeting, being a part of the community helped. And then as I got through the steps and as I started to um, progress in my recovery, it did look like having sponsees too that I helped along the way. And I have helped women. Um, I have a couple women in my life that are still sober today. I'm very grateful for God did it. I was just used as an instrument. I just cooperated. I just want to say God did it. And um, it, it sets my soul on fire to see where they're at, starting families. I mean, these women have started right. families and um, are and love their lives and are, and are enjoying sobriety. I mean, they are happy, joyous, and free. To me, I am so grateful that I just got to have a front row seat to oh, see it. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't really do any of it. I just got to see it. Now, this year has been an interesting year for me, Sue, in that... This is sort of one of the first years that I've really been a little bit more outgoing to non-recovery people about being in recovery for a couple of reasons. One, I've really shed some of my personal shame, like we had talked about earlier. Right. Um, okay, I'm in recovery, and that's something to be celebrated. Right. That's something to be excited about, and I still belong here, and um, God is using me. And so um, I've been more vocal at church with friends, letting them know I'm in recovery, people that are not in church. Um because at first you were a little bit ashamed. I was or just anxious. I felt like okay. a liar. I felt like, gosh, like these people are going to think I'm a liar, which if I say the truth is I, I was like living a double life. So I felt embarrassed. But then I realized, you know, God has really, this is a redemption story. Right. Right. And to not share it, you know, is, I think my motive needs to be in the right place too. Like, 
I don't, I, you know, we all do things out of mixed motive. I love to get lots of attention. I love the glory. But in this case, if I can be useful and helpful to others, I think there's nothing wrong with sharing my story. This is one of the reasons why I'm so grateful to be here on your podcast was because I wanted an opportunity like to help other people. And so even recently, like just sharing, I've had an opportunity, two different women from church. One I help, like I've had an opportunity to help get to rehab. The other helped her with her son. And, you know, I am just incredibly grateful that I've been used that way. Now, if I had kept this to myself right. and I had not told people. Well, you're I, the definition of, you know, my life is a junk drawer. You're you're opening your drawer and you're sharing your experiences and it gives power to not only you, but to the people that out there need the help and thought maybe they were alone and... um they're not. Kudos to you. Okay. So I want to, um, I want to just talk about this just a little bit because I have been involved in two interventions or I guess they were supposed to be interventions, both of which to me were complete failure. Um, blows blew up. People left, you know, they say 80% of the time it works, but I, that was the counselor said that to us. I, I'm two for two on failing. Okay. So I feel like that's probably, I don't know, this is my opinion. Maybe that wasn't the best way to approach people that have a problem. How do you feel about that? An ambush. Yeah. Yeah. One of the girls was like, walked right in and just walked right out. And that was the end. (laughs) So So let me ask you this. What was your relationship to these women that you were part of? I was friends of the family. And I, one of, um, one of them was my friend's daughter, and so a really good friend. And another one was just a, I was a friend of hers, and um, they just both both of them I was used as a support system. I wasn't going to be like the main leader on the intervention at all. I was she just had, there. Like, a letter that you were going to. I did have a letter. Oh, I had okay. a letter. Yes, both times I had a letter. <laughs> I did never get to read them. I did send them one time. You know, it's interesting. I actually had even less knowledge than I do about it right now, just a couple of weeks ago. But um, I think I used to watch intervention before I got sober. <laughs> I don't know why I looking back on them, I'm like, what was my, why did I do that? I think I would watch them because I was like, see, I'm not that bad. Right. Like, is that what I was trying to do like, sure. in my mind. Um, or I would use it to try to motivate me to, to just toughen up, do better. So yeah. And right. Right. It didn't work. But anyway, um, you know, I don't really know a lot about interventions. I can say that there are professional interventionists in Atlanta, and I have actually hooked people up with those people. And I know of one that is extremely successful, and I think that it can be successful. I think every case is different. Everybody is different. And I right. think that it can that be... That is very true. It can be effective. Um, my opinion when it comes to recovering from addiction is that you're done when you're done and that if you're desperate and you know to your innermost self that you cannot do this yourself, right? then it doesn't matter if it's an intervention or an arrest or right. defax comes and takes your kids or you're, you didn't show up for work one day or your husband leaves you or whatever it looks like for you. You know, we all have to find that rock bottom place and it can look different for everybody. For some women, it's, you know, their mom, their child complaining that there's alcohol in mommy's breast. For some, um, 
for some people, it's, throw, it's throwing up in the middle of the night, finding vomit on their pillow. Uh, or, you know, like, I mean, it could be uh, everyone's bottom is different. So had your had you had that meeting with your friend a week earlier, do you think there would have been the same outcome? Mm, no. Yeah. Because yeah. didn't you kind of initiate, I want to have, have dinner with you or whatever. So you were kind of already in your mind. I, this is something that um, is in the back of my mind, even if you didn't know it. And then when she put all that on the plate, right? The, you yeah. know, you put it I together. Mean, everything was kind of climbing to this point. Right. And this, the last summer of my drinking was by far the worst summer of my drinking. Right. Um, but if she had come to me, you're right. Like just even one week prior, I mean, because the day before this, my life was an extreme crisis. My marriage was in crisis. Uh, I was really brokenhearted. I was hurting really badly. And so if I had, man, a week before that, I would have been like, are you kidding me? This is, I'm still having a, this is a party. Right. This is fun. I mean, yes, I'm sick all the time. You know, yes, I have diarrhea all the time. Yes, my kids are crying all the time. Like, you know, like, but I'm still having fun. You know, let's go to the pool. Like, right. ew, you know. Um, but boy, it was not fun those last few days. The party was over. Uh, and I could not picture for myself turning it around or getting back there. Like, I just, I could not. Alcohol was not working. It was not doing what I wanted it to do anymore. And I could not picture my life. Like, I just couldn't think my way out of it. So to answer your question, Sue, no, I don't know that I would have been ready a week before, you know. And to think that I, if I had taken just even one more drink, I could have missed out on all of this. So my right. last drink to me is also just so precious. Right. Because it was that last drink. If I had had one more drink after that, I don't think I would be here talking to you right now. Just right. one more. Right. You know, I don't know how I only have... One white chip and not any relapses other than the fact that I just really don't want to be miserable and, and more than feel miserable, I don't want to be a miserable person. Right. And I don't want to make everyone's right. lives miserable around me. And I don't You like- love others now more than you love the alcohol. Yeah. And you have to get to that point. I, that's what I feel like, in my opinion, when I saw my dad, because their marriage was over and my dad finally chose my mom over the alcohol. And that's how we got sober. So there's got There's like some point that you love something more than you love the alcohol. And that helps. I think in a lot of ways, I remember getting offended because someone said to me, like, your kids can't be your God. And I was like, okay. So like at first, a huge motivating factor for sobriety was my children and my husband and my family and my life. You know, all of those things were motivating factors to cleaning it up, getting, getting help. But then at some point, I was right. like, I realized, didn't know it at the time, I hate me. Right. Sonia hates Sonia. And I can't look at myself in the mirror anymore. I cannot, I cannot stand to live in my own skin. And that, I never want to go back to hating yeah. myself that much ever right. again. And so to me, like, God keeps me sober, but I'm so grateful that I love me today. Yeah. Wow. That's important. That's huge. Very big. All right. Is there anything else that you want to talk about that we haven't hit on? My questions are kind of done until I go to my standard two questions. <laughs> um, just that I wanted to just kind of reemphasize. Oh, that. I know. We forgot. We forgot oh. about um, if anybody out there is maybe um, questioning their drinking. Mm. Can you tell us okay, some so signs? Some... We forgot the oh, signs. Okay, the signs. Okay. Yes. Um, 
Well, first off, there is, you know, there's a meeting anywhere and everywhere. So if you're ever just wondering, like, what is this all about? Like, go go to a meeting. Go to an open meeting somewhere. Gosh, we have this wonderful thing called the internet. Um, you can look them up in your area and just sit in on one and no one, no one's going to force you into anything. And it's not going to be weird. Um, so if you ever want to just sit in on one and kind of figure out what it's all about, that's an option. Signs that there's something going on. Gosh. Okay. So what, what happens when you try to quit drinking? You know, that's, that's, I guess what I would ask. Can you leave them alone? Right. Um, if you make a deal with yourself, I'm not going to drink for 30 days. Do you actually keep that deal? Or do you fudge it a little bit? Only you can answer that question because you're the one making the deal with you. You know, I would make all these little deals and then I would lie to myself and I would think, oh yeah, just, you know, like, but I'm fooling, I'm not fooling anybody. Like, yeah, like those, these games aren't for anybody else. Like, I don't know why I, you know, like, okay, I'm only going to have three glasses of wine tonight. And it was a whole bottle. And I'd be like, ha I only had three glasses. No, you didn't, Sonia. You're a liar. Like, right. right. So um, I would say, like, are you, when you make. Lying about your drinking. Are you lying about yourself your or anybody else? Yes. Are you lying about your drinking? Um, are you, are you thinking about alcohol? How much are you thinking about alcohol? How much time does it occupy in your mind? Um, if you're out of alcohol in your home, do you feel uncomfortable? Does your skin crawl when you think of the idea of having to go somewhere and alcohol is not readily available to you? Um, so what happens when you start drinking? That's another thing too. Like I can think of in that last year of my drinking, I can name on one hand the times that I made a a deal with myself that I was only going to have a certain number and I stuck to that. So that means one hand out of 365 days, one hand I can count. I'm only going to have two drinks and I had two drinks and I was successful. Um, to me, that's not a great sign. So, you know, if that's where we're at, it's like, hey, I'm only going to have one glass of wine tonight. And you've had the, you know, and you, even if it, like, if you are making these deals with yourself and you're breaking these promises, that's something, you know, if it's eating you up, that's something to look at. Um, you know, we're all different and, you know, I don't want to tell anyone what to do or how to do it. I just know that I was miserable and I found the relief that I found through this particular method. There are other recovery programs out there too that are also effective. So there's nothing wrong with exploring and asking questions. And there's like little checklists and stuff. And even there's an A pamphlet. Am I an alcoholic? And like there's a little (laughs) checklist quiz thing you can take, you know? And And only you can be honest with yourself. Yeah. (laughs) And the thing is, is it's scary. This is scary stuff to look at. Like, it makes people uncomfortable to have these conversations. Yeah, it really does. So as um, someone that's on the outside that either loves someone that they think might have a problem or is a friend to them or a child or whatever, is there any advice or in your opinion, what we can do to, sure. to help the person that we yeah. feel is in crisis? Well, there's a meeting called Al-Anon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's where... So you can go there before you even con- confront... The person you're... I would recommend Al-Anon to anybody and everybody. Okay. I mean, Sue, you know me. You go to Al-Anon. Yeah, that qualifies you to go to Al-Anon. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. All you have to know, do is know or love an alcoholic. Or even be an adult child of an alcoholic that right. you are. Like, that's right. an option, too. And I've been to an Al-Anon meeting. And um, those are great. And so... Because the thing is, is we call this a family illness. So it's not right. just me that's sick. It it right. really sick. It gets everybody sick right. and twisted. So. Yeah. You know, this is an option for anybody that needs support, 
maybe from other mothers that are going through this or other wives that are going through this or other friends that find themselves feeling just like if you're losing sleep at night because you have someone in your life that you love that is abusing alcohol, it might be a good idea to go there and get some support. Okay. Um, So that would be my thing. Um, As why it doesn't matter. I mean, like just the fact that people were asking me like, Hey, what's your drinking looking like? You know, I think, I think here's the thing, Sue, if you have someone in your life that you are concerned about their drinking and you have been placed in a position in their life of like love, like I call permission, you know, the people in my life have permission in my life to speak to me. And we have this intimate relationship where we, where we share our lives with each other. You know, my friends have permission to share with me their concerns about my behaviors and so if there's someone in your life that you're concerned about, I, I don't, I don't personally think there's anything wrong with saying like, you know, sometimes I'm worried about your drinking. It looks excessive, you know, and, um, I just want you to know that I love you and I'm not going anywhere, but I have some concerns about your drinking and, uh, I just, I cannot just let this go. I have right. to tell you. And chances are, if there is a problem, you're going to get a very defensive response. Right. And if there's not a problem, then there'll be an honest, open dialogue where people can honestly look at themselves. And 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 if if the friendship is, I think what keeps us from having these conversations is the risk of losing the person having right. them in your life. Like, right. well, this person will say F you to me and run away from me. Well, if that's the case, then the, how strong is right. the relationship? And we have to come um, as a non-judgmental friend, not saying this is this and this and this and this and you need to do this. We just need to come, like you say, with concern and love and listening and compassion. I think sometimes judgment, we try not to be judgy, but we can be. I think that you're right. But also a lot of the times when I'm worried about people judging me, it's the own, my own voices in my head that I'm scared of, not your judgment. Uh, like your judgment of me can't hurt me unless I believe what you're saying. True. So if, if the fear is, I don't know, what if Sue thinks I'm an alcoholic? Well, that's not really the fear. It's, oh, no, what if she's right? What if I am an alcoholic? Uh, Even if you think that or not think that, right? I'm really terrified of whether or not that's true or not. Right. And so, you know, if you have someone in your life that you love dearly and you're concerned, for me, what's going to keep you up at night? Telling them or not telling them? Right. You know, this right. is where be true to thyself kind of comes into play, Pray, praying for them. If you have somebody that now, there's different extremes everywhere. There's the friend that's the alcoholic that you're worried about, but then there's the child that might be an alcoholic or there's the parent that might be an alcoholic right? or a sibling that is, you know, an addict or an alcoholic. And for me, I had to learn boundaries. Uh, I had several different resources to learn boundaries. Um, That's another subject for another (laughs) podcast. What are boundaries? How are boundaries implemented? Um, but again, those are things you can also learn in Al-Anon. So, um, loved ones that are suffering. We have loved ones that are suffering and are not drinking alcoholically. And we just tell them that we love them. We're here for them. We have concerns and we're praying and that's all we can do. I think, I think that's give them to God. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Okay. Now, yes. now, is there anything else that we pretty much cover everything? Uh, just, uh, just the, le- the, you know, I'm not a, I don't represent AA. Yes. <laughs> I said AA a lot. I don't represent AA. Um, just one person that found recovery there. And I'm just here to be helpful and useful. Yeah. And, so. and everybody is different. We're all individuals. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for sharing. I mean, really, truly just 
throwing everything on the table for us because mm-hmm. there's so much in there that is so important for us to know. And I just thank you so much. My pleasure. I'm so okay. grateful. But you can't go until you okay. tell me, is there something in your body or your soul um, of your own junk drawer uh, that you have been working on to clean out that you've realized? And tell me, are you cleaning it out or how are you doing on it? Oh, goodness. This is, this is a great question. Okay, so yes, always. Um. <laughs> Let me count the ways. Yeah. I always say, well, today I'm well, Let's just talk on. about today. <laughs> the dog out in the trash. And... Okay. Um, so what's come up for me recently, and I was actually talking to my sponsor about this just a couple days ago, is that I've, I've found these little moments where I've been crazy angry and blowing up, whether I'm blowing up on a, on a friend or I'm blowing up on a family member or whatever, and just the side of me that's come out that I'm just like, whoa. Um, I realize that I need to do some work on it. I need to look at what's going on. What is it inside of me that's getting, why am I so angry? Right. And typically there's some element where I feel like there isn't justice. Like I think, you know, our society right now is really big on justice, right? Like we want justice. And, and so maybe that's what's going on with me. Um, I, I, I haven't really looked at all of it yet to really give you, I I don't know why I'm necessarily struggling with anger in one area or another area, whether it's a family member or a friend or, um, or even, you know, like, (laughs) like a, um, institution too, even, um, that I have a resentment with or, um, like an entire county, actually, I have a resentment <laughs> with, um, and where I'm like, I have to do a, a, I have to do an inventory on a county. Um, but I know that I'm, I've made it clear, like just this last week, I need to do some writing. I need to look at it and I need to see what's going on inside right. of me that is having these responses and these reactions because I don't like being an angry person. I'm grateful I'm not taking it out on my kids or my husband. Right. Um, but there are a couple little things that are triggering to me and it doesn't sit well with me. I don't like it. I don't like fighting with people. <laughs> I'm finding myself getting into fights and I don't like it. And gosh, anyone listening to this that knows me is probably laughing hysterically right now because I can be so confrontational and I just don't, I, you know, sometimes it's good and I know that God can use it for good, but man, a lot of times I do some damage and right. there is wreckage and I right. hurt people and I don't want to do that. And so I'm in the process right now. I'm cooperating with God. I'm confessing. I'm cooperating with God. I'm also having to really look at what is going on. What's behind it. What's behind it. What's behind it. And also I'm, I'm practicing the opposite of what that anger is. So in some ways too, Sue, I'm like, if there's someone in my life uh, that I'm particularly angry with, I'm praying for them a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple friends, um, you know, where I'm just, I find myself asking God to bless them, um, you know, and meditating on positive, happy thoughts. Cause I want my thinking to change. Right. And I don't want to be angry. And so, and I want to be a vessel of forgiveness and grace <laughs> and peace. And so writing your thoughts down, I have found that I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and they're like, when you're in that moment, write, write what you're feeling and write. And I know sometimes you're driving in the car and you can't write it down mm-hmm. cause you're just at that point angry but coming back or even just you know 
I'll come back and I say, okay, what triggered that? Why? And my, I, mine sounds so angry. I get very frustrated and impatient. Mm. And so then I'm like, okay, why was I feeling that way when I really didn't have any reasons? And it would have been, might be because, oh my gosh, I had so much stuff to do at home and I never got it done. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm mostly mad because I didn't do the laundry, not because, you know, what this person said. So it does, I have found that it helps a lot. Yeah. Cleaning it out and kind of looking at it. Yeah. Okay. So after all this heavy stuff, we get to go into your closet or your junk drawer in your house and tell me what's the funniest or weirdest or wildest thing that you found in a physical junk drawer or closet. Okay. Well, it let me... You want to hear the dumbest thing that was in my closet? Yes, I do. Okay. I had probably a, um, gosh, I want to say, how many inches is that, do you think? Oh. 27? Yeah. What? 27? Yeah. Yeah, probably like that. I would say I had a 42-inch tube television set sitting in my closet (laughs) for seven years. Yeah. I'm not even joking you. It is embarrassing. I was like, I would go in there. So in my closet, in my bedroom, I have a walk-in closet. And uh, I ever I swear love it. I, it's so, this is so embarrassing, but I would, uh, I would like have these. You know, we, we keep our most important files in our closet, which is so dumb. Like again, like <laughs> why is it, why are they in there? And it's like my children's like IEP folders and like arts and crafts that are important. I don't want to throw away because I have mommy guilt if I do that. So I'm just going to stuff it in my closet, and then I've got. Like wrapping paper in there, and I've got hats and my son's baptismal gown in there. <laughs> and my, every good closet oh, has all of that. I have my wedding bouquet from when wow. I got married in my closet. I mean, you want to know what's in my closet? Here we go. Here we go. This is what's in my closet. So, but the worst thing of all that's in my closet was that television. And um, the city that I live in has a like spring cleaning event where you just put all your garbage on, oh. the, on the corner, and they come and take they it. Come and take it. So that's awesome it's wonderful and it's once a year okay and so um my husband was like how about and first off I we just, take this tv that weighs five thousand pounds well i just want to say that i suggested this a long time ago but this year he suggested so it happened so anyway um he <laughs> got done this year that's great so i was like this tv like let's get this tv out and sure enough and so i went into my closet the other day and i was like whoa there's so much room in here. And I was like, oh, the television set from 1998 is out of our closet. It's gone. And oh I was like, why is this in here? Like, uh, And the thing about a tube TV is like so clumsy. Like the weight distribution in it is so stupid. Like, And I would just imagine I would have this fantasy of taking a baseball bat and bashing it to bits. Oh, my you gosh. Know? How funny. So, yes. The, the weirdest thing in my closet would be the tube TV, which sounds so trashy now that I'm saying it out loud. No. So, the funniest thing is that when we moved here, we moved, we just moved here, um, it'll be six years now this summer, so it's kind of long, but we did actually move a tube TV here. And, yeah. And it stayed in the basement until we refinished our basement two years ago. So, and ours was bigger than, ours was like huge. And I'm like, what are we doing with this? And Jay was like... I don't know. I don't well, know. How did you get rid of it? Because he had to take it to like Junks Anonymous or something. Who got Jay, rid of it? Jay had to have someone help him. I was going to say, physically. he probably had a couple of men help yeah, him because yeah, they yeah. are so They're heavy. heavy. I couldn't do it myself. I'm like, why did you move this here? How did you people, uh, how did you people do this before? <laughs> how did you do these TVs? Oh, oh my gosh. You know what? I think I still have. I might have finally gotten it because I had this little tiny, um, 
it was like a 12 inch tv that had the antenna and it was my grandfather's and oh. it was from like 1972 oh. of course and i took it and i would put the rabbit ears up and i I used that for a long time, just I don't know why. Where's it now? I think it might still be a good one. Keep that one. Because it was, just reminds me of him. Anyway, so That's you're sweet. not the craziest person. Okay. The funniest thing is people will be like, oh yeah, I found this. And I'm like, oh yeah, I have that too. So, mm-hmm. anyways, thank you, Sonia. This has just been, oh my gosh, a treasure for us. And you've been so open and honest and brave and vulnerable. And I couldn't have asked for anything more. So, Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. All right. Well, goodbye, everyone. Bye. Oh, my gosh. The Tube TV. Y'all, can you remember? It doesn't even seem, it seems like we've had flat screens forever, but the Tube TV was not that long ago. And the scary thing is, is I had one too. You guys, everybody that's come on here and told me what they've had junk in their drawers, I've had it too. I believe I have some very junky drawers. Gosh. It's a good thing I'm podcasting. I can keep cleaning out my junky drawers. Hey, y'all. One last thing before I leave. I wanted to put some more information on my website in case anyone is concerned about themselves or someone they love over drinking or maybe being an alcoholic. So you can go to mylifeisajunkdrawer.com and I will link some information. I also have a list that I saw that I thought was really good of some signs, some more things other than what Sonia and I just talked about. So hop on over to my webpage if you need any more information. And other than that, you guys have a great week and I will see you next week. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. If you like it, you can go over to iTunes and subscribe and give me a rating. You can also leave comments and questions. You can also find me at suemangum.com or mylifeisajunkdrawer.com. Hope to hear from you soon.